Hi, John here from Real Kombucha, the finest in non-alcoholic fermentation, and welcome to this month's Real Podcast. Now, on the final weekend in May, we're heading to Axminster for the River Cottage Festival. Hugh Fernley Whittingstall's esteemed establishment celebrates their 20th anniversary this year, so it's a pleasure and a delight that we're able to go along there and take some very fine non-alcoholic drinks. Now, in the run-up to this, we've been chatting with some of the people closely associated with what River Cottage is doing. Last month, we chatted with foodie mastermind Gelf Alderson, and this month, it's the turn of their fermentation expert, Rachel DeThompel. Known initially as a chef, then as a journalist, she's also known for her previous work with Abel and Cole, and for her urban foraging passions, and for her books, of course. Now, she'll be hosting a panel discussion involving Real Kombucha founder David Begg at the festival. But before that, we caught up with Rachel in her kitchen as she put the finishing touches to the latest River Cottage handbook. Touching on all things fermented, we were keen to get her take on the resurgence of interest in this style of food preparation. While we don't ever flavour our brews here at Real Kombucha, we nonetheless find it fascinating when someone as skilled and experimental as Rachel starts digging around and looking at what might be possible. So we arrived at her flat to find something akin to a laboratory, with our interviewee sat there right in the middle of it all, brandishing what looked like a cheesecake. And that's where our conversation began. This is the fun part about coming and doing these podcasts, is that I always somehow manage to get the chef or the interviewee to serve me food. Good. (laughs) Funning plan. (laughs) So what am I eating? So we have a um, cashew cheesecake, but it's made with um, one of my favourite kombuchas, which is, I call it kombuchai. So I just basically make a black chai tea Mm. with loads of spices and then ferment it. And so I fermented the cashews with the kombuchai um, Mm. and used it as a base. So it's almost like a fermented um, cashew cheese base. Mm. Um, But yeah, instead of using probiotics, I've used... um, the kombucha, which gives it the acidity as well. I'd like to think you're doing this because I've just turned up, but mm. you're doing it because you're writing and you're 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 putting together recipes for mm. for the River Cottage fermentation book. Is That's that right? correct. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about that. Mm. Yeah, it's exciting. So, um, mm. yeah, I I got into fermentation quite some time ago. Um, kind of through a boring. Well, actually, I've always been really interested in my granny used to always make sauerkraut and I had lots of fermented foods as a child but I didn't really they weren't labeled as fermented or they weren't hipster or trendy they were just food Mm -hmm. and it was just a way of preserving things Mm. um and um then I about seven years ago I found out I had um I was feeling really sluggish and and tired and run down and I was eating really well and doing all the right things apart from sleeping enough um and so I went to see a nutritionist and she um and I did some tests and found out I had no good bacteria in my gut oh and it's from I suspect growing up in the states and having loads of antibiotics as a kid and never anything to rebalance um my gut bacteria so I did this really boring exclusion diet, um, so I had to give up alcohol and sugar and lots of things. So I started to have alcoholic um, alternatives like water kefir and kombucha yep. um, in the evenings when I went out. And then once I kind of um, had done this detox for a while, then I actually started doing a course of kefir, dairy kefir 
um, on an empty stomach in the morning for three weeks. Um, initially, I thought I, <laughs> I thought my stomach was going to explode. So, and, and apparently, that's completely normal. And I know other people have had that experience um, because it's basically there's a new party going on, and you're repopulating yeah. um, your gut, and you go, th- you sort of carry on with that, and then um, and then suddenly you just feel completely amazing and have loads of energy back. And I had eczema, and it had gone away. So I had a visual sign that something had been fixed um and then I was like wow this is amazing because I like the taste of fermented foods but there's this whole other layer and and then you just start making because I was buying in this kefir as well and it's quite expensive and also I just you know try to keep my food as handmade and local as possible and I'm a chef um as well so I like experimenting so I started making the stuff myself and then it's just totally obsessive um, mm. especially when it's quite daunting at the beginning you think you're going to poison yourself <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize you're, you're not poisoning yourself it's really easy um, and there's just endless flavor mm. experiments that you know avenues and and just and then so I've started brewing kombucha and then I've done all these different flavors and these ones actually are quite clean so I've done like the one with chai and then I've done one with coffee um there's a local um coffee roaster he does this really gorgeous um honey processed coffee Mm. um where the beans are and so that's a lovely it's double fermented product um the honey process is when they pick the coffee cherry they take off most of the flesh of the the fruit around the bean but they keep the little sort of there's like a honey sort of sticky Mm. layer on the bean and they keep that and then ferment it Mm. in the sun and it just gives it a lovely sweetness um but yeah so I do coffee kombucha and I've done a sencha Earl Grey. I do Earl Grey um, with marmalade sometimes as well. So I'll just, in the second fermentation, I'll blend some marmalade through it and then strain it. And it just gives a little sort of citrusy note. And it's kind of like a breakfast kombucha. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so we, I mean, we're surrounded by them here at this yeah. table, I should explain. Uh, we've got, we've got a, mm, a the, kilner jar. Yeah. Oh. So this is for, I'm doing this really lovely event um, this week and they wanted some mocktails mm. so I'm doing fermented drinks um, mm. and this is it's a garden themed um, canopy party and so I've done some lavender from my garden and chamomile Hello. I'm just going to explain again so I'm <laughs> sitting here with four different bottles we as you've mm. just said we've got honey processed coffee kombucha we've got earl grey kombucha we've got sencha sencha <laughs> we've got Kombu chai, then there's. So this <laughs> is the right decaf, is the, yeah. There's what you've just explained that mm. kilner jar. Then I can see in the kitchen three, four, five, six. Yeah. I think six. So yeah, yeah. it's and like a brewery them, in itself. And one of them is a a jun. <laughs> a jun, yeah. So it's the honey um, one, and I think mm. I've brewed it with chamomile. So mm. Hugh at uh, River Cottage, Hugh Friendly Winning Sauce, become mm. really obsessed with kombucha. All the chefs at River Cottage now are, are brewing kombucha and into mm. it. So there's this great sort of world kind of learning together, which is really good fun. Mm. Well, that's a great thing about mm. kombucha, I think, is there's that uh, almost community aspect of it, mm. is it. You don't start making kombucha until somebody has given you your, your first scopy. So you've got all those chefs at River Cottage, or <laughs> you and Hugh have got all the chefs at River Cottage making 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think he started it because he brought his um, scobies in for them to have mm. a play with, and then um, and then I got reeled in because they're like, "You've ri- you've written a book that <laughs> that talks about <laughs> you know um, kombucha, so help." Um, so, but I mean, it's great because I think there's you can't stop learning, um, mm. and and everyone's experiments are quite different, and also brewing in different atmospheres too, in the country versus the city, and a flat versus a commercial kitchen. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's it's lovely. What's what's the most fascinating thing that you found about working with fermentation? Is is it that? Is it the the fact that it's never the same twice? Yeah, and it's trying to get that consistency as well, but also just um, really paying attention to yeah. what's going on and um, and knowing how to kind of get to the same place, even though there's mm. different hurdles through the road. Um, so book I'm doing is going to have, it's going to have a drinks chapter, which will cover mm. kombuchas and mm. other fermented drinks. Um, and then I'm doing a baking or bread or grain. I haven't worked out exactly what I'm calling it um, chapter. And I did a sourdough course the other day and my scales had broken. And with sourdough, I think scales are quite important mm. just to get the balance right. Um, but I just, they were broken. I had to make some, some stuff. And I um, was kind of making a recipe up as well. <laughs> so I had a base recipe and I was going to tweak it and evolve it. And I just had to make it and just remember like how the texture of the of the dough and just look at the rice. And, um, and it actually was completely perfect. And I was really happy <laughs> that, that I got to that point where I could just like completely evolve with it and not be too scared. And I always try to tell people that when I teach is that, you know, don't be too stuck to recipes because it does change all the time. Ingredients changes, the atmosphere changes, the mm. air pressure, all these things affect. I've spoken to some chefs who are saying, there was one chef recently told me that they didn't think it was a good idea to cook with with kombucha because you're killing the kombucha mm. by heating it up. But obviously, if you can get over that ethical hurdle. Yeah. Well, the thing is, there's lots of things that you can do that where you're not cooking it too. Like yeah. I make a really, actually my son's, so my son's not a massive fan. He's 12 and he's in the other room because oh, okay. <laughs> he's sick today. Um, so I might give him some kombucha to help. Um, he has a sore tummy. Oh. Um, but he, um, I make a salad dressing with the kombucha. So he's not a fan as much of drinking it on its own, yes. but he loves this vinegar. And I mean, this um, salad dressing and he will literally drink it from, I'll make it in a jam <laughs> jar. And I just do like 50% kombucha, 50% olive oil mm. and Really, it doesn't need any extra sweetness because mm. that com- the kombucha has that mm. lovely sweetness. So it's just two ingredients um, mm. that are quite healthy mm. and you're not cooking it. Um, and again, I'll finish like a soup and it will get a bit of heat contact, but you're not cook- you know, you're not boiling it. Of course, um, yeah. And also just finishing a sauce or any, you know something yeah. like that. Or like I've done with the cheesecake where it's completely raw. Yeah. Um, and not cooked and you're getting all the benefits and mm. it's natural so rather than using a probiotic tablet to mm. ferment it um, you have the the flavor as well it's delicious mm. you're from the states aren't mm. you originally yes i think we make an assumption as you know sort of the com- the kombucha community in the uk makes this assumption that everybody now in the states is drinking kombucha mm. like it's huge it is quite big, yeah. But it wasn't when you were young. It's not something that you no, were drinking. No, no. I mean, I was there twenty-three years ago. Was right. when I left the states. Okay. But when I go back now, there it's it's so exciting. There's every shop. There's one of my favorite places. It's it's similar to Whole Foods. Um, called Central Market, hmm. and they must have twenty brands. And hmm. then each brand has three or four flavors on the shelf. It's literally a whole 
shelf. It's mm. almost like the wine aisle of kombucha. Mm. And they have really exciting flavors. Some of them don't always deliver, but I think that's <laughs> what I kind of like that because then it's my challenge to go home and make something that delivers on what they're trying to sell that's not delivering. And an example of that, um, and I've made it and I've made variations on it. I, there, there was a flavor, it was blackberry with um, toasted oak or oak aged, it was oak aged blackberry kombucha. And so I've made, yeah, I made a blackberry kombucha. I just um, brewed a normal kombucha and then I um, pressed some fresh blackberries through a sieve to make a pulp and added it to the kombucha um, for the second fermentation in the bottle and added, I added some lavender to it and then I um, toasted some oak in a frying pan, um, mm. some oak wood chips, and yeah. made a tea bag, and then just pulled off a tree. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, my, I have a friend with a smokehouse, um, but you could do. I do foraging walks, and I tell people you can don't pull it off the tree, but if there's fallen branches of oak, use it. Yeah, <laughs> toast it and use it in cooking. But yeah, so I've done like t- tea bags, and um, when I'm fermenting the kombucha, do you have a particular favorite that you've seen in the states? Is there? Do you pr- do you have a preference as to whether it's flavored or non-flavored or anything? no? Well, I think I probably prefer... I actually like playing around with flavouring it myself. Mm-hmm. But when I'm buying it, I think I prefer something really clean. And my favourites... I think one of my favourite kombuchas is jasmine. And that's one of the first ones I started making. Mm. Actually, was just... Um, I get these jasmine pearls from Jean Tea. Um, and um, I... I don't fully cold brew it, but I brew it with quite cool water. So you get a really clean uh, flavor profile and you're not heating the tea leaves because tea leaves have, especially green tea leaves or white tea leaves, they have all these like downy little hairs. If you looked at at them under a microscope um, uh, because they're the kind of first little bits of growth picked. And um, if you put boiling water over that, you just kind of kill those off. Mm. So I always brew with quite cool water for a long period of time. And then you just get this really, it's almost like a champagne, I think. Mm. And I've done one with, um, in Barham Market, there's a really good tea company called Tea For You, I think. It's Darjeeling based. And they do a white Darjeeling tea with rosebuds, um, Indian rosebuds. And I made a jun with that with some honey from Devon that was sold in Borough Market. So I did a fermentation workshop for a river cottage mm. in Borough Market. So I was pulling all the ingredients from the market. Mm. And that by far was one of my favourite kombuchas ever. Um, mm. It was just really clean. It was like a rosé wine, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's nice, is when you can get it to where it is actually a really acceptable sort of alternative to alcohol. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it is that people are suddenly so much more interested in fermentation? I think there's a real mix of reasons. I think one of the primary ones is actually not necessarily flavour, but the health benefits, because our diets have changed so much and kind of um, devolved from where they should be in terms of eating lots of processed stuff, not as much fresh food. And also we used to historically have fermented foods as a regular staple in our diets. And I mean, really, we should be having at least one fermented food a day at least. But if you can have one with every meal, all the better, because it helps you know keep your gut bacteria in check and it helps you with digestion and energy and all that. So I think people are really... Um, you know, seduced by that mm. and, and want to be healthier. And so I think that's one of the primary reasons. But then once people get sucked in, then they realize actually 
it's packed full of umami flavor and it's all, you know, it's, mm. it has so much flavor. Mm. And, you know, if you try a homemade sourdough, even versus a commercial sourdough and even from a local, I mean, actually some bakeries are way better than, than I will ever be. But, <laughs> um, but sometimes when they're done on a bigger scale, but if you, you know, sourdough versus a, a normal loaf of bread, it's just, to me, I just think there's no taste comparison. The mm. sourdough mm. has so much more flavor. It's just had time to develop and evolve. And that's what fermented foods, yeah, just, they're just amazingly delicious mm-hmm. so your, your background obviously is you mentioned that you're writing and obviously you've written several books but you were also a chef in the kitchen mm-hmm. working with the likes of marco pierre white and, mm-hmm. and those sort of things those sorts of things those sorts of people <laughs> was that something that was has, has fermented food always been a part of of sort of what you've done in those places or have you noticed it developing as a you know a trend or something yeah like no definitely developing um mm-hmm. i mean i yeah, I think when I, the first, in my in the, my food world experience, in my sort of career in food, my the first um, actually fermented food I came across was kombucha mm. and in this PR company. I was mm. a copywriter for a restaurant PR and, and we we had a kombucha brand. And when I would think that have been? It was early 2000s, so almost 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah, which is amazing. And it didn't, um, there was, it had a moment and I was working in Soho next to Whole Foods mm. and they sold it there. Mm. Um, and then it just, and it was the only brand and it didn't kind of explode into this trend like it has now. Mm. Um, and I don't quite know why, but. Um, I wonder who that would have been. Yeah, I can't remember. I can kind of <laughs> vaguely remember the label. It was quite hippie looking. Right. Yeah. Uh, quite colourful and lots of swirly rainbows and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but, and yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was my first experiment. But um, yeah, never, no one was doing sauerkraut or lacto-fermented pickles or none of that stuff, which is quite sad. And now you go into places like the Little Duck Picklery and you know, duck soup and they have, you know, jars and jars of stuff <laughs> everywhere. And it's become quite trendy to walk into a restaurant and, and see their fermentation yeah, kind yeah. of hub. So I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to talk. I need to talk to Gelf to see if we can have some shelves laden with crazy jars and make it look <laughs> a little bit more like my kitchen. <laughs> when is the the book coming out? When, when are you doing that? I think it's out September next year. Uh, it was next due year. out in January, but um, but I've been adding things to it. Uh, <laughs> I keep going to. Um, I have an allotment, and I, and I think it's quite good because it was really sunny the other day, and I was like, and I was writing, and I thought, oh, I'm just gonna take a break and go to the allotment for a bit. Mm. And um, and actually, I was there, and my gooseberries were coming out, and I'd totally forgotten about. Um, and last year, I was making elderflower champagne, but I also. Um, made some with gooseberries because mm. I just thought actually the gooseberries will give it like that nice dry sharpness mm. and um so it reminded me to put that in the book mm. <laughs> so had I not gone to my allotment um I wouldn't that recipe wouldn't be available <laughs> in the book but yeah I keep thinking of new things and coming across mm-hmm. new ideas it must be hard to know where to stop it's yeah well I think where I'll stop is when my editor starts really shouting but at the moment <laughs> they're being really nice <laughs> so Um, But yeah, someone's going to tell me to stop at some stage. Excellent. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to go and finish the cake now. Lovely. (laughs) 